Welcome to the midweek edition of Coverage Potato Diary. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. It's been a minute since I've done one of these things live. Uh, took last week off, was at my sister's wedding. Congratulations, Rachel and Brandon. Um, was a, a very good recharge. I know we had a show last week, I believe uh, Friday, on fantasy football, but that one was pre-taped. Um, again, I say that. All these are. It's podcast. Um, but yeah, it was nice to recharge, it was nice to be back in the home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for a little bit, uh, but a lot has happened since the last time I was chatting with all of you folks. Again, I was going to say live, that's not how these things, um, work. Uh, if you want to get in contact with the show, you can do so on social media. I am at PrimetimeKlein on Twitter. Twitter and Instagram, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. The music that was playing before is Waste of Talent. Find them on Instagram at Waste of Talent with X's where the A's would be, or you can find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. So this is going to be one of those days where we cover a lot because a lot has happened since the last time I covered anything. Thus, the whole covering a lot thing. Um, going to start with the Carolina Hurricanes as they have offered an offer sheet hence the name, to Jesperi Kotkaniemi. So many different layers to this. First off, absolutely love this. This should happen more often. And it is uh, vengeful on the one side, which creates controversy, which creates a great deal of intrigue. I don't know if it is the smartest thing to do, but it's just that there are so many different layers to the offer sheet. And I, I do think that we should see more of it. And you hear fa um, fans clamoring for it all the time and we never get them because this happens to you. One team forces you to, to make a deal. So that team will look to look for payback. Um, I just, I, I can't express how much I absolutely love this. And finally, something interesting from the NHL, like, we, we, we talk about the NBA on this show, and we'll talk about it a little bit later on, but th there's just so many storylines in an NBA offseason that make it so much fun. And with the NHL, there's storylines that make it fun for hockey fans, but in the grand scheme of, oh, hey, this is a fun thing to talk about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this one is absolutely that. So it is a one-year... $6.1 million offer to Kakaniemi. The Montreal Canadiens have uh, just a couple of days left to match that offer sheet. If they do, they get Kakaniemi, but they have to qualify him at that number for next year. If they don't, then he is a member of the Carolina Hurricanes. Let's start from the Carolina perspective of this. And if they are able to land Kakaniemi, what are they getting, first of all? They are getting a project, and one that I don't particularly think Montreal has handled spectacularly. I I feel like they've ping-ponged him around, and I, I never think that is a good way to go about things. Like, I, I thought they called him up too soon, and then I thought they gave up on him too quickly. And then I thought they, when they call him up again, um, he's misused. And then in the playoffs, he's in and he's out and he's in and he's out and he's not being used a whole lot. And it was just... I have never felt like Montreal has fully committed to Kakanyemi the way that I think he needed to be committed to. And with the Carolina Hurricanes, you have a team that has Aho and Trocheck down the middle already, so you can kind of let him develop at his own pace while being surrounded by veterans, but you can also just maneuver different ways of getting him into a spot where you think he should probably be and uh, be at. And I also think that this is 
an interesting testament to their coach, Rob Brindamore, who obviously has done a very good job of getting the most out of this team. And they have been knocking on the door of contendership for a long time. Um, they, they have turned themselves into a relatively consistent playoff team. And again, like I said, like they are, when, when we go over teams that have a chance to win the Stanley Cup uh, coming up next month, or I guess later this month, now it's September, holy shit. Um, but they, they, they have put themselves in a spot where they are going to be there. And that is a pretty good feat for an organization that hasn't consistently really been able to do that. They have a couple of flashes, they have a Stanley Cup championship to their name, but this isn't an organization that you think of, oh yeah, like the Red Wings. Like this is, this is not them. But I, I think that they have done a fantastic job over the last couple of years in developing into that. And so now, if you can kind of, I don't even want to say retool, but if you can develop on the fly and all of a sudden you have Aho, Trocek, Kotkaniemi installed down the middle, holy crap, is that absolutely amazing. What hasn't been amazing has been the rest of the Carolina Hurricanes offseason. I, I said coming into the offseason that even if Carolina just kind of treads water, they might end up passing Tampa Bay because of all the hits that Tampa Bay has taken. Now, Tampa Bay certainly has taken some of the hits, but I think that they've absorbed it pretty well, actually, and that is still an extremely talented roster. So that battle is still going to be incredibly interesting um, when you look at the top of the Eastern Conference. But just from a Carolina perspective, Dougie Hamilton leaves for the New Jersey Devils, which is a surprising move um, and not one that I saw coming. And it's one that... I think this Carolina team could absorb, but then you murky things up by replacing him with noted not awesome human being, Tony D'Angelo. And that is where you really start to lose me. Um, but like from a hockey perspective, that is a step down. Uh, and Tony D'Angelo, the last time he played hockey, was pretty all right. But this is, again, an interesting view on how different people view different people. There was a time here in Calgary, Dougie Hamilton. Oh, well, you can't have that guy in your locker room. Like, he's he's not good. Like, he... Not, yeah, not a good locker room guy. He wants to go off and do his own thing. Which is insane. But also, you are then going to replace that with Tony D'Angelo, who has said some absolutely atrocious things to other human beings on the internet. Uh, that just, that doesn't fly. That, that This is a prime example of what some hockey people view as a bad person in the locker room and what normal people would view as a bad person in the locker room. And now, if you're Carolina, maybe you have viewed your locker room as a space that is a strong enough one that you can absorb bringing in someone like that. Um, and I don't know if you think you can change him or just survive it or what you think that is all about, but this is a guy who was getting into fights with teammates, um, which ended up being kind of the, the last straw in New York. So I, I, I have a concern that that is going to blow things up in Carolina. So it has been a bad off season for them. And, and I think this is a move that can potentially alter things a little bit for them. For Montreal, the pressure is on. And I don't know if there is a wrong move to make. If you are Montreal, if you, if you let him go, 
then you're letting go on someone who you drafted very, very high and was supposed to be a key part of your organization. But you just made it to the Stanley Cup final without him being a key part of your organization. And looking at the center depth on this team, it has taken a hit this year for sure. But I don't know if he is an completely irreplaceable piece. And at $6.1 million, maybe for the next two years, depending on how the whole qualifying thing goes, that becomes really, really tricky to try to maneuver. You do end up getting draft pick compensation back. And I wonder now, much like a lot of people have, I wonder now if you use that draft pick compensation from Carolina to try to beef up a package for Jack Eichel. And a lot of people say, oh, well, if you lose Kakinemi, then you lose a, a key piece of the Eichel trade. I don't think you do. Um, I, I I don't, like, that That probably could have been that, but a first and a third, yeah, that probably makes up for it. Like, I I don't know how much trade value Kakinemi has right now. So I, if I'm Montreal, I'm probably letting him walk. And that probably stings a little bit, and it, it has to hurt the ego because another team just kind of got you. But I, I do think that this is... Uh, I don't know. I was going to say a potential warning shot for other teams around the, the NHL that, hey, you got to mind your P's and Q's with your RFAs because someone could swoop in. This probably won't happen again, which is unfortunate. But we're seeing now, if this works, maybe it happens again. Maybe you see teams ramp it up a little bit with the, the RFAs. Probably not. Is kind of... I don't know. Maybe it works. Maybe we see it get ramped up a little bit if this works. But... I still, I, I still doubt it, but I do think that Montreal is in an, an interesting spot, and I, I wonder if they kind of, oh yeah, well, fuck the Ladia then, and go out and get a, a Jack Eichel, um, instead of spending $6 million on Kotkaniemi, like that just, that doesn't seem like a wise way to spend your money if you are Montreal. Moving on to a team that has spent their money very wisely, the New York Islanders making some signings that look just absolutely brilliant. Um, Casey Sezikis, uh, I'm not a huge Sezikis guy. I never really have been. Um, he scored 20 a couple of years ago. That certainly seems like more of the outlier than anything. Although, in two abbreviated seasons, he gets 10 and he gets 7. And that that is still under a 20 goal pace. But it's in the, the 15s, right? I guess 7 in 56 would not be a 15 goal pace. But you know what I mean. He... He has shown that maybe it is not the outlier that it, it looks like right now on his hockey DB page. But you get him at two and a half million dollars. Okay, fine. Yeah, he, he is a guy who fits a role on your team. You get him for two and a half million dollars and it is long term and fine. Kyle Palmieri signs a five million dollar deal. That is the one where I kind of go, mm, don't know if I love that one, a guy who has scored 30 before um, and has been in the mid-20s for the last few years, but then last year, he's at 10. And it, it just, it kind of feels like there might be a fall-off coming a little bit for Kyle Palmieri, but he is still only 30 years old. There, there are still a couple of good years left in this. The back part of it might be not particularly awesome. I've just, I have never been as high on Palmieri as others have been, but the, the real one that really caught my attention was Anthony Bavillier at $4.1 million, and I, I think this is a player that is on the verge of a superstar-type breakout. He has 15 goals, 28 points, and 47 games last season, but in the postseason, 
13 points in 19 games. And that was where he really started to shine, I thought, from a New York Islanders perspective. And I think he is someone who is very much, uh, like I said, on the verge of superstardom. And I, I think I think it's an underpaid today, and I think it's going to be a vast underpay by the time this contract is done. Now, it's only three years, so by the time this contract is done, you are going to have to pay him a ton. But that is future New York Islanders problems. Um, but no, I, I think that overall, again, I'm not the hugest fan on either Sezikis or Palmieri, but I don't think either of those contracts is going to absolutely crush you. I think this is, I think it's a good bit of business from the New York Islanders on a team that, again, they made it to the, the conference finals or the, the Stanley Cup semifinals. The, the last couple of seasons, there isn't like that big addition that comes in this offseason that I was wondering if they would go out and make. I was hoping that they would do the Taylor Hall signing just to um, potentially reunite Hall and Everly, but then Everly leaves, so that really doesn't work. Um, I, I was kind of hoping they would make the trade for him, obviously not sign him. I, I understood that. But yeah, th this is, it, it's an Islanders team that I think is intriguing. They also sign uh, the goalie, uh, Sorokin, to three years, $4 million, which is a, a good contract. You're spending $9 million on your goaltending. I, I think that's okay. Varlamov, we saw the good and the bad with him in the, the playoffs. This is just a very solid hockey team, and they're extremely well coached, they're very well run, so they're probably going to be a problem in the upcoming NHL season, and I'm probably going to underestimate them. Women's hockey, Team Canada, with the gold medal win over the United States at the Women's World Hockey Championships. In hindsight, probably should have led with this, but I didn't, and sorry for that. I was just so excited that an offer sheet actually happened. This is... Again, I, like the, the, I'm, I'm not going to do a, a super in-depth breakdown on this. It's just really freaking cool. And it is, I think, a big next step for this women's program. As I talked about with Sandra Piscina in our preview episode, it just felt like even in the games Canada was winning against the United States before the U.S. won on this incredible run, it felt like Canada was just holding on. And in this case, that did not seem to be the case. Uh, certainly not in that round-robin game. That was an ass-kicking. But even in this gold medal game, they fall behind, they are able to work their way back, and then a perfect shot wins this. It does feel like this was a step-up moment for Canada in um, in this era of women's hockey. And I think that is so important now as we immediately head into uh, preparation now for the Olympics. But it, it, was, it was just so good to get this spotlight on the women's game after what has been a tumultuous last 18 months for women's hockey. And I, I just, I hope that they can now kind of catch that wave that women's sports has been riding and certainly has been riding in this country as you get the women's soccer team at the Olympics a month ago. Now, at the end of August, you get the women's hockey team doing their thing. It, it just, again, it feels like there is that uptick in momentum for women's sports. But this is the, the other side of it where, kind of talked about this with the, the women's soccer. It's, it, it is, or sorry, with the, the, men, the men's and women's national basketball program. It is one thing for you to continue to develop, but the other nations are developing as well. And when, when you look at Finland and Switzerland, who did not have a good tournament, um, and the, the Russias and the Japans and the, the Germans, the, the rest of the teams in this tournament, they are progressing, and that is great. And they are progressing past the point where they were at, but I don't even think they've caught up to where Canada and the United States were five, ten years ago. And the, the problem with having to try to catch up when you are so far behind is the other nations 
aren't standing pat because they are driving themselves or driving each other, Canada and the US, to be better and to raise their game up. And so these other nations that are trying to catch up just have to that much more. Now, did it affect my enjoyment of the tournament? Not really. No, no, it, it is... It adds almost a level of tension to it when you are so set on this one matchup and, okay, this is how it is going to go. Um, and then there might be a banana peel thrown in every now and then. And you, you, there's it, George St. Pierre talked about this when you are the clear favorite and you have so much, um, so many expectations to do well, that kind of adds extra pressure. So it is a different pre pressure watching these. Um, I, I, I do, and I know I just harped on it, I do think too much is kind of put on that where, oh, well, it's two-team tournament, not going to watch. Well, you could watch when the two teams play because it's pretty fucking awesome. Um, I just, I feel like there is too much excuse making with why women's hockey um, or women's sports in general shouldn't be paid attention to because, oh, well, they don't draw this and they're not as this. Blah, 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 blah. And I feel like if you are doing that, you are really missing out on something special because that was a hell of a tournament to watch. Last one. Going to um, going to start gearing up with some hockey stuff as we get ready for the start of the season, which is now next month, which, holy shit. Um, I understand being a general manager is very difficult, and I'm not suggesting I know more than any National Hockey League general manager. But I think we can kind of stop saying, well, give it time. Let's see how the offseason plays out with the Calgary Flames. Because the offseason pretty well almost done played out. And the, the big move that a lot of fans are hoping for is Jack Eichel. And there is a chance that Jack Eichel is playing north of the border, but your team ain't the favorite. And it, it just, it absolutely... After missing the playoffs when it was almost gifted to you last season, it absolutely boggles my mind that the Flames right now basically look like the same team that exited last season so disappointingly. And it, it just, again, to suggest anything other than the season where everyone got 100 points and the team finished first in the Pacific Division, to suggest that that's not the outlier, I think is so aggressively whistling past the graveyard. I I think Brad Living is a very good GM. I, I And that's not just because he was really nice to me. But it is, I, I think you look at some of the moves that he has done, not all of them have worked out. Very few GMs have a 100% track record. I think that he has made a lot of moves that have elevated this team. And when his moves haven't worked, he has been one to bail on them. And, and I think that is a very good, um, very good skill set to have, I guess, or a very good recognition to have, self-awareness to have as a GM. But holy shit, if this team goes into this season the same way it came out of last season, then that seat has to be very, very hot on him. And it has to be playoffs or bust. And I know... I, I complain about that from a Vancouver Canuck perspective because playoffs are bust leads to whatever the hell that Oliver ekman Larson trade was from Vancouver. But this team has proven time and time again, minus a good three-month stretch, that they just aren't good enough. And this isn't Carolina not good enough to win a Stanley Cup. This is not good enough to make the playoffs. And when you do get in the playoffs, not good enough to compete, not good enough to hang. You watch any round after the Flames get eliminated and tell me, oh yeah, they could hang with that. No, no, we have not seen one second of that. Uh, okay, 
We've seen a few seconds of that against a Winnipeg Jets team that was missing their two top players. And at the time, I didn't take away from that because I didn't even think this Flames team could play that style of hockey regardless of who they were playing against in a playoff situation. And they did that, so that was a check mark. I was willing to blindly, again, whistle past the graveyard when it came to that. But now, when you are seeing, again, that is the clear and obvious outlier. To not change much, if like essentially anything, with this team blows my mind. I don't understand it. And they, they got a month. Maybe something can change, but I, I don't know what drastic change is being made in September. This is kind of where little tinkering moves are made. Um, and I get that there's a big one coming with the Jack Eichel potential trade. And maybe you swoop in and just overpay. But at this point, you got to do something because going in with the status quo is not, has not, will not be good enough. Speaking of teams that need to switch up the status quo, awkward segues, the Philadelphia 76ers find themselves in an interesting situation as they still have Ben Simmons on their roster. And I think it is abundantly clear the Philadelphia 76ers do not want Ben Simmons on their roster. And now Ben Simmons has made it very clear that he does not want Ben Simmons on the Philadelphia 76ers roster. The problem is everyone else knows that the Philadelphia 76ers don't want Ben Simmons on the roster and Ben Simmons feels that kind of way as well. And so I don't think Philadelphia is going to get the absolute godfather return that Daryl Morey is hoping for. But the one thing that I find interesting is the Joel Embiid story that came out earlier today where he denies that there is a rift with Ben Simmons. No, 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 you don't get to decide that, sir. When you say, like, very clearly point to what was obviously a very clear screw-up from Ben Simmons, when you point to that and say that is why we lost this series and why our season is done, you don't get to decide if that rift is done because he's the one who's rifting. And now I don't know how Ben Simmons feels about Joel Embiid. Don't particularly care. But, A, Embiid can say that all he wants. No one's going to believe it. And B, even if Joel Embiid believes it, it's not up to him to decide if he believes it or not. That is a Joel, or a, sorry, a Ben Simmons thing to decide. I think it's a disaster if Ben Simmons comes back with this Philadelphia 76ers team. I, I think that that relationship was so damaged. A, with how poorly Ben Simmons played. B, with how full on they backed the bus over him. And then like, the bus lit on fire while it was on top of him. So they put that fire out, built a new bus and drove it over him again. I don't know how you can come back and just be like, yeah, well, we're, we'll, we'll just run it back. Again, no one thought this, like you, you have two incredibly talented players on this team. And so I, I don't think I was going to say, no one thought this was going to work. That that's a, a lie. Because you, you see the talent and you you just, you want it to work. But then you see it in practice and it has very rarely worked. And then in the most key situations of your season when it's supposed to work, it didn't work in spectacular fashion. I don't know how you run that back. I don't know what the best case scenario is for Simmons. Probably a spot out of the spotlight where he can kind of rebuild himself away from the, the the pressures of Philadelphia. That's why I don't think the Chicago trade makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and really, with the way Levine played in the Olympics, I, I don't think it makes sense for Chicago anyway. Um, 
Obviously, Philly would love that. I, I think absolutely Philly would love that. But I I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense from a Chicago standpoint. So unless it is a Sacramento trying to make a home run swing and trying to, to, to sell tickets, you can squint and see something with Toronto where it makes a bit of sense. And the thought of Ben Simmons in a Nick Nurse defense is rather tantalizing. And you, you could have a kind of a, a Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet situation only now with Ben Simmons playing the role of Kyle Lowry, where Van Vliet doesn't need to be the primary ball handler the whole time. I was interested to see how that's, how this season would go. And by the way, I don't think that's likely um, that Ben Simmons gets traded to Toronto, but I, I do think it would be interesting to, to see how he would handle things in Toronto. And I, I would also be interested to see how the Raptor fans would handle him because we, we have developed this reputation over the last little bit of being a very good, very passionate fan base. And that's fantastic when things are going well. When things are going not very well, this can be a bit of a shitty fan base to deal with. And I wonder how Simmons would deal with that. And th th none of this is to make light of any type of mental issue that Ben Simmons might, I I'm going to say might, it seemed pretty clear, but that that is unfair for us to put on him. Um, you just hope the guy, whatever was causing the problems with him, you hope he gets it figured out because this is still an incredibly talented human being. And again, it's it's still a human being. And that seemed like it was absolutely hell to live through for Ben Simmons. But Joel Embiid say, oh no, there's no rift. Okay, that's cool. You weren't the one we were worried about. Okay, just just to be abundantly clear on this. Shifting gears now to uh, baseball, the Toronto Blue Jays. Ugh. It was cool watching games with my dad. I'll, uh, to, to, first and foremost, um, haven't been able to do that obviously in a while, um, in almost exactly a year actually. So that was that was really really neat to to be back in Saskatchewan and be able to to do that. So that was great. It just would have been nice if the team wasn't so bad. Um, they, they play a little bit better against Chicago and that helped. And then you take two of three from Detroit so that it kind of gets them back on track. The good thing is, is that Boston is an absolute free fall and so are the teams out West in Oakland and Seattle. So that has helped Toronto kind of stay in this. But the one thing that I did not like about some of the stuff and to, to be fair, it wasn't a whole lot of people like that. There was a lot of, okay, the season's probably done. What are they doing next year with Robbie Ray and with Marcus Simeon? And that is, is a, a broader discussion for another day. Um, I don't think you can just chop up last week to chop up. That's not right. Chalk up. Um, I, I don't think you can just blame last week on, oh, well, it's a couple of bad plays. If Marcus Simeon makes a throw to first, if Josh Palacios makes a, a catch in the outfield, then this team is in a much better spot. And that probably like, the, the Marcus Simi one that that is as clear as day like that I, I very rarely think that games come down to one player one call or one anything but you have a throw to first to win the ball game that game is coming down to that one play the the Palacios one that that it sucks for the kid because you see what he is trying to do but for sure don't do that um but you 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 can't just say oh well a couple of bad plays and the Jays would have been right back in there the main thing is and it's changed a little bit over the last couple of games but the main thing is this team's not hitting at all and when, whenever it's kind of like when a team runs into a hot goalie in a playoff series and the team with the hot goalie scores first and you can just kind of see the team that is sputtering go we we have to get two two we can't even get what two no 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 and it kind of felt that way with the blue jays so okay they're up one nothing this is fine and the other team tied it was like well fuck 
Or goes that. Like, it, it just, it kind of felt like they were at that. Now, Vladdy seems to be busting out of it. And I, I don't think you can discredit, even though they were down by 100 in that game, the, the mini comeback they had against the White Sox in that series finale where they make it a little bit close, just to have some success. It, it's like the, the best example, or the example that I go to, there's probably a thousand more since then, um, but I think it was the 2000, was it 2011? No, I think it was about 2013. Mario Chalmers could not hit a damn thing to save his life. And then all of a sudden, he gets fouled, makes two free throws, and just like that, he could shoot again. And it... It just, it seemed like a nothing thing at the time, but just seeing the ball go into the hoop just triggered something. Oh yeah, I'm still like one of the top 1% in the world at being able to do this, so I'm going to figure that out. And I, I just wonder if from a Blue Jays perspective, they struggle a little bit more offensively um, in, in the Detroit series, but it does seem like certainly Vladdy's come out of it. But just to see some runs get put up on the board, even in garbage time, I think was very important for this Blue Jays team. I don't think they're done, but I, I'm certainly not as confident as I was back in July when you looked at the schedule and, oh, well, look at all these teams, look at all these games against not great teams they have coming up. They blew that. Now they have to beat the very good teams that are ahead of them. And the problem is they're running into a buzzsaw of the New York Yankees team right now. Now, the Yankees aren't going to catch Tampa Bay, um, but th this is still an incredibly good Yankees team that I was underrating for a lot of the season, and they still, that bullpen would scare the hell out of me from a, a Yankee perspective. But aside from that, like, again, you look at the rest of this wild card picture for the Blue Jays. Are they better than the Seattle Mariners? Contrary to what that series would tell you, yes. Yes, unequivocally, they're better than the Seattle Mariners. Are they better than the Oakland A's? That was an A's team that concerned me, but the way Oakland is playing right now, yes, the Blue Jays are better than them. Are they better than Boston? Yeah, uh -huh. yes, they are. The Blue Jays should still be a playoff team this season. And I'm not going to say this season is a disaster if they don't make the playoffs because look at everything they had to deal with. Even just from an injury perspective, not having George Springer and having the guy who you signed to figure out your bullpen issues go down in spring training for the season in Kirby Yates, that's a lot to deal with from a team perspective. Now, don't go crying to the Yankees about that because they've had a hell of a lot to deal with. But then you had the nice cherry on top that you haven't played, you didn't play a home game for the first three months of the season and your quote-unquote home ballpark featured a lot of games against teams from that area and oh, would you look at that, we're getting booed at home. I feel like this team being this close is a great sign for next year, but there's a lot that can change between now and next season, specifically Marcus Simeon and Robbie Ray. I get a little bit concerned about a guy like Robbie Ray who has had some trouble with consistency and now all of a sudden in a contract year, he becomes the most consistent guy on the planet. Those types of things concern me, Hito Turkaloo, but... I do also think that the Jays have one of the best pitching coaches in the league in Pete Walker. And if you can, you can convince me pretty easily that Pete Walker is the reason that Robbie Ray is as good as Robbie Ray has been right now. And so I, I don't know how much Robbie Ray is going to get paid. It's probably going to be a lot and I hope it's by the Blue Jays, but my number one at the very top of the list is Marcus Simeon. That is the number one A with a bullet, if we are going in tiers, he is tier one and everyone else is in tier seven. That is the most important thing the Blue Jays have to do this offseason. He rounds out that offense so well. He brings a grounded nature to this organization that they 
really don't have. I, I think he is the perfect fit for the Toronto Blue Jays. I think the Toronto Blue Jays are the perfect fit for him as well. And I really hope that he sees that. But again, this is a dude who is going to get MVP votes this season and he's going to get paid. So it's a little tricky for the Blue Jays to fit that in. But again, uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith brought this up on Tim and Friends after uh, the afternoon ball game. This is an organization that has suggested that when the time comes, they are going to spend like a big market team. Well, this offseason will be the time to show that. Last offseason, it was the time to show that for the Blue Jays. It was also the time to show that for the New York Mets. And as frustrating as it has been from a Blue Jays perspective over the last little bit, it has been that much more frustrating for the New York Mets, who today have won three in a row and find themselves five and a half games out of first place in the American League East. They are also five and a half games out in what is all of a sudden a very interesting wildcard race in the National League, which uh, again, thank goodness for that because there isn't a whole lot else going on in the NL. This is a disaster season for the New York Mets. A, Atlanta loses their best player. B, Philly just isn't very good. This, ah, I was gonna say that worst division in baseball. That's not entirely true because the National League Central sucks something fierce, but I do think you can take a real good look and say, okay, well, this is, they, they are at least competing for the worst division in baseball. And you sit at 65 and 67 with that payroll. There is a ton of off-field stuff that makes this just an absolute garbage organization. And you all know a whole lot about that. There's been a lot of good reporting um, going on with that. And I don't mean to dismiss it, but that this conversation is just from a, a strictly baseball standpoint. But there is certainly that cloud that is looming over this entire thing. And it just, it has been a real disaster for the Mets. And then the thumbs down thing happens. And I am never, you're never going to catch me being the guy saying athletes are overpaid. They are, they, they just happen to have an incredibly high skill set in something that is deemed very valuable. Right? Like, are they out there saving lives? Of course not. Should nurses be paid more? A thousand percent, yes. Uh, should teachers be paid more? A thousand percent, yes. That That is its own thing. If if, if you cut Javi Baez's contract in half, my sister's not getting paid more to teach elementary school in Cornac, Saskatchewan. That's just not, that's not how the world works. Um, so yes, are there other industries and other occupations that should be paid more? Uh-huh. But these are people who are entertaining millions who are paying a lot of money to see them and they're the top 1% in the world in this sport that everyone tries to do. They are better than everyone in something that everyone attempts. So I do think that that, that whole, well, athletes get paid too much conversation. Ah, I don't know, maybe, probably, but given the market and how much money is in sports, no, not even a little bit. That being said, you can't make the money these guys are making and then get upset when your fans are mad at you. That's part of why you get paid what you get paid. That doesn't give fans free reign, but not by any stretch of the imagination. Like some of the stuff that you hear about that gets yelled in Boston and I'm sure gets yelled in every place ever like that, that does not give fans the right to be abusive or anything like that. It does 
However, give fans the right to be a little bit pissed off when their team that was supposed to be the runaway favorites, not only in their division, but to compete for a World Series, is sitting just five and a half games back of an Atlantic team that their big splash was Jock Peterson. They're allowed to be frustrated at that. Part of the reason why you make the money you do is because there is pressure involved in what you are doing because 50,000 people pay money to watch you do your thing on a nightly basis. And so you will forgive me if I'm not super sensitive to the fact that the Mets are upset that fans are booing them. And so to boo back, I just, I, I can't, I can't, I just can't, I can't wrap my head around it. And so to the Mets, I would just say, shut the fuck up. Like, oh, the fans, they have to be so supportive. No, 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 Shut the fuck up. There is way, way too much of this mentality in sports right now, whether it be from media or whether it be from the fans. Oh, you don't think this team can compete? You're not a true fan. I stuck with them throughout the bad days. Those can be two independent things. You know, like my dad will probably go into almost every Blue Jay season with blind optimism. But then by the time April 15th rolls around, it's like, ah, we're not very good. That was basically the story of my entire childhood. Hey, the Blue Jays might have a chance this year. Oh, no, they don't. We didn't turn it off. We didn't keep watching. But we also didn't go, oh, no, it's fine. Otis Nixon should be batting leadoff, even though he's hitting 217 this season. Like, that's, you are allowed to be critical while still holding that fan card. And other fans do it, and players do it a ton. It's like, there's this mentality with players that it is their right to be cheered all the time. And there is a whole other discussion on what are actual rights and what aren't um, that in the broader scale of the world. But there is this feeling from, from, uh, from players. There's a feeling from Dana White in the UFC that, well, we are providing you this entertainment. You are not allowed to be critical at all. And that is just simply not true. Mets fans have every right on a number of different levels to be very frustrated with how their team is performing. And so you think because you're out there, and I'm sure you're trying very, very hard, but you think because of that, that they're not allowed to be critical of you? I say, uh, shut the fuck up. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram, at Wasted Talent, with X's where the A's would be. They got a lot of new stuff coming out, uh, so check them out, and you can find their producer on Instagram, at Music. going to close this thing out with a little bit of football. Uh, we will start with the Canadian Football League as it is Labor Day weekend, baby! Uh, going to do more on this on the Friday show, the whole fighting and football thing. But I just, I am so excited. And I know our CFL roundtable last week, or a couple of weeks ago now, turned into more of what's wrong with the league than what's right with the league. Um, but that, again that comes from a point of passion that, that comes from a, we want this league to succeed and we want it to do very well. Um, and while there are grander scale things that need to be improved just in the here and the now and the thing on the football field, I've been really high on the CFL this season. I've really, really enjoyed Canadian football this year. And I think this is an interesting time for Labor Day to be coming up because aside from you, you have, Saskatchewan right now, who is ahead in the East, or sorry, ahead in the West, and you have Winnipeg 
right there with the Riders, and they are so far ahead of the other three teams in the West. And then you have everyone else in the East, and we all have a pretty good idea that Ottawa sucks. Uh, that they, they made um, they made fools out of all of us against Edmonton in Week One. But aside from that, they're not very good. And then everyone else, like it's just you, you have Ottawa clearly in the bottom. You have Saskatchewan and Winnipeg clearly at the top, and then everyone else is just kind of there in the middle right now. Like Calgary comes up with a big win against Montreal a couple of weeks ago, and then a tough loss against Winnipeg last week. And there is no shame in losing to Winnipeg. A lot of people are going to do that this season. I hope Saskatchewan's not one of them, but so be it. Um, but like you, you just have all this all this stuff kind of clumped up in the middle and Labor Day is generally the kickoff to, okay, it is getting real up in here now. And while it's a little bit different this season, cause the, the year is elongated, um, by a month. So it's, it, it's not quite the, okay, now it's time where, where we're separating the men from the boys and all of this. This is, I think a very good, this is going to be a very good next couple of weeks to kind of figure out what the tiers actually are in the CFL, in the, um, the, the banjo bowl battle, you have Saskatchewan and Winnipeg kind of battling for that favorite spot right now in the CFL. And I think you're going to see Grey cup odds adjust dramatically based off of what happens in the prairies over the next couple of weeks out in Ontario, Hamilton's having a hell of a time and Toronto is going back and forth on quarterbacks a bunch. And they again, have an incredibly talented roster, but they haven't really been able to maximize that yet. So that'll be a good kind of a, a good marker to see which one of those teams can take another step forward. And out here in Alberta, can the Calgary Stampeders continue to just kind of tread water? Um, We'll see what's going on with Bo Levi Mitchell by the time the, the games roll around. We'll see if Edmonton can figure out whatever has been causing Edmonton problems over the next couple of weeks. But I, I do think that you have all of these teams clumped up. That makes this a very interesting Labor Day weekend. Apologies to BC, Montreal, and Ottawa, who never get mentioned at this time, um, and uh, quite frankly never should, because, I don't know. It, it'd be weird to just give uh, teams like that, like, I can see why they don't. Just give, just have it be a three game schedule um, because, you know, it's a long weekend that one of these teams or a couple of these teams want some home revenue off of this, but also they put the game on Thursday. So it doesn't matter anyway for that. I personally, I would just stick it with these three teams or these three matchups, give those three teams a bye week and figure it all out that way. But I also understand why they don't. In the NFL, uh, we are into fantasy draft season. I've had two fantasy drafts so far. One is that gigantic 16-team league that I talk about on uh, my last program quite a bit and how absolutely soul-sucking it is. And after every draft, I come out of it, well, this is the worst team ever. And then you look at it stacked up with everyone else and, oh no, this is just a super deep league. Uh, so everyone has their equivalent of a Naheem Hines starting in week one. Um, so, you know, that one is always a humbling experience at the beginning of the fantasy draft season, but then had another one last night, feel really good about it. One player who I can't figure out, and I, I think it's just, it, it is a, a little peek behind the curtain of me. I think it is just a lack of confidence in like, it, it just feels like I must be missing something. Cause I think AJ Brown is one of the best receivers in the NFL and no one else has him ranked accordingly. And so I'm just, oh, well, I guess there's something I'm missing on this. But I just, I really want to hitch my wagon to the A.J. Brown hype train. But ha that one hasn't even left the station yet. I, I just, 
I, I get he is always banged up, but that is the only thing that keeps me from loving this dude. And now Julio Jones comes in and, oh, well, maybe Julio's the top target there. and Maybe he's going to pass him. I don't, I don't think he will. I think AJ Brown is really, really good. I think Ryan Tannehill is good enough to get him the football. Like I just, I don't, I don't get what I am missing on AJ Brown, but I'm assuming I'm missing something and that's freaking me out. But AJ Brown, I just, I need to, there, there is no helpful advice here. I just want to put it out in the universe. So when he is wide receiver one at the end of the season, I can be like, hey, uh, like ignore all the, the weird self-confidence stuff around it. Look how smart I was saying AJ Brown could be the number one wide receiver in fantasy football. But I think he is that good. Like I, I think he has the talent to be one of the best receivers in football and no one is drafting him as such. And so I think as I get into a couple of more drafts here over the next week, that is probably going to be a player that I end up with quite a bit. And that is going to scare the hell out of me. Cam Newton, uh, his time in New England has come to an end. And I would suggest probably his time in the NFL. It just looked so bad last season. And I, like not even caring about the, the COVID stuff. Although like we probably should because that's not great. But just ignoring that and just looking at the play on the field, like it was bad. It was really, really bad. And then to lose out to Mac Jones, who I don't think is very good. Uh, we're going to do NFL futures next week is kind of the, the way I've always previewed the NFL season going through win totals and such. I, I am not high on this New England team at all. I went after the Dolphins defense. We, it's uh, myself and my brother-in-law doing uh, kind of co-owning this team. I said kind of, we're 100% co-owning this team. Um, but we went after the Miami defense because I don't think New England's offense is going to be very good. And Cam Newton couldn't even beat out the dude there. So I, like, if you're bringing Cam Newton in as your backup, why? Like, what, what are you hoping to achieve with that? What are you hoping to find with that? Like trying to get your Chris Strevler third and one, fourth and one QB to do a couple of QB sneaks. Like I just, I, I would much rather take a lottery ticket on a young kid and try to develop him. Cause I just, I don't, I don't think Cam has anything left. And I think there's going to be an interesting discussion around Cam Newton in terms of his, I guess, legacy. Cause I, I he, there were a few years where he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But his shining moment is a Super Bowl that he lost and he doesn't dive on that football. And that, I think, is a real, like a, a, a real flag in his career, a real marker in his career where things really changed after that. That was his, I mean, obviously it was his best shot. It was his only time making it to the Super Bowl. And it just seemed like things changed for Cam after that. And it, it really is too bad because I, I think he is an incredible talent. I don't think he ends up, well, I, I, I really don't think he ends up being a Hall of Famer. I, I think he get he should get honored by the Carolina Panthers franchise in some form or fashion, but I don't know. Is it, a, like, I, I don't think it's a disappointment when you draft a kid first overall and he takes you to the Super Bowl, but it, it just felt like there was another level that Cam maybe could have got to that he didn't just quite get to. And maybe that's just my own expectations because he was damn good for a while. And there was a long time where people just didn't give him the credit that I think he deserved. So you, you can just hear in me talking how difficult the legacy of Cam Newton is to really wrap your head around. That is going to do it for the program today. Good to be back with you guys. Um, admittedly, took me a little bit to get going, took me a while, but now that I'm in the, the flow of this, I want to do another one tomorrow. I'm not gonna, but I could, because it's my show. Um, but we'll be coming back on Friday, have a lot of thoughts in the world of professional wrestling, as a lot's happened since we talked about that, and we'll have a bit more of an in-depth preview for Labor Day weekend 
in the Canadian Football League and some more fantasy football stuff as well. So it's going to be a real fun Friday. Thank you everyone for tuning in. If you want to get in touch with me, I am on Twitter at PrimetimeKline. You can find me on Instagram at that same name, uh, PrimetimeKline, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can email me, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. The music you're listening to, provided by Wasted Talent, you can find their producer on Instagram at TommyFreshMusic. If you haven't heard enough from me yet, we had no idea. My general history podcast, as myself and my wife would do it, usually comes out every Wednesday morning. I mentioned before, I had a fantasy draft last night. So it gets pushed. Uh, that show is going to be coming out tomorrow morning, but it's a general history podcast. Have a lot of fun. Really proud of the work that we do on that one. Uh, so you can check that out. Same place you listen to this one every single week. All right, that's going to do it. One more of these for me this week. That's coming up on Friday. I'm out.